0: Samawe te bakterini de kidi. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to Sri Guru and Gauranga. All glories to Sri Prabhupada. Ima Om Yashoda and Sri Krishna. Shuna te bhakti vidyanche soniti namena. Master Sruti Devi. Gaurangana prachana and the service of Srila Rupa Goswami. Vandeha Shri Kuru, Shri Yuta, Tari Kamala, Shri Guru, Vaishnava Mstachar. Sri Urupa, Sahagra, Jatam, Sahagana, Arganatambitam, Satsangshir. Sarvoitam, Sarvajitam, Parijana, Sahita, Krishna, Jaitanya, Deva, Shri Raha, Krishna, Faram. Sahagana, Lalita, Shri Vaishakam, Nathamstachar. Om Namo Bhagavate. Vastudevaya
1: Om Namo Bhagavate Vastudevaya
0: Om Namo Bhagavate Vastudevaya In Ireland, and we're reading from Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 10, Chapter 4, The Atrocities of King Kamsa, Text 38 and 39. Itam Neg Samu near Beer. Na Shakyate Ruda Pasan Chitiksitum. Yatendriya Gramamam Peksitas Tatan Mahan Bada Balonachalyate. As a disease, if initially neglected, becomes acute and impossible to cure. So as the senses, if not controlled at first, are impossible to control later, an enemy, if neglected in the beginning, later becomes insurmountable. So it's a continuation of yesterday's point. Right. So text 39. MULAM YATRA DHARMA SANATANAHA TASTICHA brahma VIPRASTAPO YAGNA CHA MULAM the foundation. the
1: foundation.
0: Where did we hear that word "mum" before? Yesterday. The verse. What did it mean? The roots. Yes. And what were the demons saying? You had to do what? What was their point yesterday? Which we just sort of kind of repeated in text 38 that we just read. <laughs> What's the point? That has to do with mula.
2: What? Attend to something. Like, you've got a disease, you've got to tend to it quickly. Yes, not just quickly, but having to do with Mula. At the root. root. Root.
0: Okay, so the demon's (coughs) already made a point that you should destroy the demigods at the root, even though right now they're not very important. Okay, so then the logical question is what is the root? Okay. So we had Mulam, the foundation. He, indeed, Vishnu, is Lord Vishnu. So what's Mulam? Okay, we'll do the next one. Devanam, of the demigods. So what did they just say in English? Vishnu is the root of the
1: demigods.
0: Yachar, wherein? So what are we going to find here at this root? Dharmaha. Religious principles. Sanatana. 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 Traditional or eternal? Tasya. Of this foundation. foundation. So there where Vishnu is at the root, what are you going to find? What kind of dharma? What kind of dharma? Eternal, which we call? Sanatana. Sanatana dharma, which here is called dharma sanatana. In Sanskrit you can change the word order and it doesn't matter. In English... If you say the boy threw the ball or the ball threw the boy, it means something very different. In Sanskrit you can switch the word order because the grammar is in the construction of the words rather than their placement in a sentence. So, yatra, there, dharma sanatana, there you will find? At the root with Vishnu you will find? What? Eternal religion, okay. Cha. Also. So what else are you going to find there? Brahma, Brahma. Brahminical civilization. Brahma. civilization. Go. Go. What's that? Cows. Cows. Cow Cows protection. Vibra, Vibra. Vibra. Scholars. 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 Brahmins. Tapaha. Tapa.
1: Tapa.
0: What's that? Austerity. Yagnaha. Sa What's Dakshin? That's just charity. Certain kind of charity. Give money to to the priest. So, yagnaha sa dakshinaha. So, yagyas that also have? Dakshin. Dakshin. Okay. So, what's this verse say, please? Somebody, tell me what this verse says. What does the whole verse say?
2: At the the root of Lord Vishnu, at the root of the 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 demigods, you find Lord Vishnu along with uh, eternal eternal religious principles, um, historians, uh, scholars. Uh, yogis, along with protection.
1: Two
0: more. Anybody?
2: Two more. Remedical Actually, three more. Yeah. Remedical
0: culture, cow protection, and. Okay, that's it. Remedical culture. Hmm. So so. Yes, I there's one. Asterius. Mm-hmm. So at the root of the demigods, we have to get the demigods out by the root. Why do we have to get the demigods out by the root? Even though they're weak and they only boast when they're away from the battlefield, and Vishnu, Shiva, and Brahma, they're all hiding. Why do we have to get the demigods out by the root? Why can't we just ignore them? Because? <coughs> no, that's how you get them. Because they'll just grow back again. And what other things do you have to get out at the root? What the other three things you have to get out of the root? Disease, fire, and? Debt. debt. And when do you have to get them out at the root? Immediately. So that was text 38. So you have to get them out at the root. Where do you have to get them out at the root? And when? Now. Okay, now how do you do that? So we have the where and the when. Now we're having the how. What is the root? So the root of the demigods is, is... What is the root of the demigods again? Vishnu, and where is Vishnu? Where are you going to find Vishnu? Italian. Where there's eternal religion, where there's Brahmins,
2: <inaudible> <inaudible> cow protection,
0: austerity, yes, where there's remuneration given in Yagyas. Okay, purport, uh, found the translation in purport. The foundation of all the demigods is Lord Vishnu. Who lives and is worshipped wherever there are religious principles, traditional culture, the Vedas, cows, brahmanas, austerities, and sacrifices with proper remuneration? Purport Here is a description of Sanatana Dharma, eternal religious principles, which must include brahminical culture, brahmanas, sacrifices, and religion. These principles establish the kingdom of Vishnu. Without the kingdom of Vishnu, the kingdom of God, no one can be happy. Who said that? Famous verse. In this demoniac civilization, people unfortunately do not understand that the self-interest of human society lies in Vishnu. Durasheya ye bahir arta mani Bahir arta. Bahir. What does bahir mean? Outside. Arta. It's art to me. Well, economic development is this sort of a poetic understanding of art. It means something that you want, some goal. Manina, main, durashraya. Durashraya, it's a bad shelter. You have a bad shelter if you think your real wealth, your real goal is outside, rather than knowing that you, you swarta Gatim, you have the word arta again swa arta, your own arta, your own goal getting is Vishnu, they don't know, not te Vidu, they don't know, swarta, that their own goal their own wealth is uh, getting, the goal of their own wealth is Vishnu, durashaya, they have a bad shelter, bad intelligence and that they think that their wealth is something outside. thus they are involved in a hopeless hope People want to be happy without God-consciousness or Krishna-consciousness because they are led by blind leaders who lead human society to chaos. Is that a good description of what's happening? More and, more and more and more and more and more. When I was 9, 10, 11, 12 years old, I could ride my bicycle for two miles alone, and I'd never let a kid do that to me. Chaos. I mean, in America, you don't know if you go to school whether you're going to be shot. I mean, it's not just that you're going to learn to smoke and drink and have a list sex, you may be shot. (laughs) That's chaos. So many countries of the world are chaos. My my grandson was looking up the most dangerous places in the world to visit and the worst is Somalia. They haven't had a, a tourist in 14 years. And the there's a hotel near the airport, but the hotel has a recommendation. If you want to travel between here and the airport, we suggest you have ten armed guards with you. So it's chaos. You know, you can't bring a bottle of water on an airplane. You can't bring a bottle, of can't bring water on an airplane. That's chaos. It doesn't matter who you are. You can be a religious person, you can be a PhD, you can be, you know, president of a country, and you can't bring a bottle of water on an airplane. So they've led us to chaos. People don't have jobs, you know, they can't maintain themselves, the <coughs> food is polluted, the water's polluted, you know, you practically can't even breathe without getting sick. Air is supposed to be healthy. Air, water, food, and all those things today are going to make you sick. That's wild. You don't have to get sick from a disease. You get sick from just drinking water. You know, in China, you'd get sick just by breathing. There's not even a sky anymore. It's like chaos. The Asuric adherents of Kamsa wanted to disrupt the traditional condition when the qualities of a devotee is covenant, poet they wanted to disrupt the traditional condition that's called assonance and consonance and poetry of human happiness ah there we have alliteration the assuric adherence more alliteration this one sentence is full of poetry the assuric adherence of Kamsa wanted to disrupt the traditional condition of human happiness There's this whole sentence listen listen to this sentence I'm sorry to get distracted. This is just so wonderful. The assuric adherents of Kensa wanted to disrupt the traditional condition of human happiness and thus defeat the demigods, the devotees, and the, de- the devitas, the devotees, and the demigods. Wow. Do you hear all the poetic yeah. attributes in that one sentence? Sorry. Lovely. Unless the devotees and demigods predominate, the asuras will increase and human society will be in a chaotic condition. <t sorgen> Mulam Vishnu Devanam Yatra Dharma Sanatanaha Tasya Cha Brahmana Go Vipras Tapo Yagya tadakshina so everybody wants to be happy Prabhupada says without the kingdom of Vishnu no one could be happy everybody wants to be happy these demon friends of Kamsa they also want to be happy and they're thinking the way to be happy is to get rid of the demigods and the way to get rid of the demigods is to get rid of Vishnu and the way to get rid of Vishnu who's the root is to get rid of what's supporting the root as Prabhupada puts it where Vishnu lives Vishnu, Vishnu lives wherever there is so let's get rid of eternal religion how do you get rid of something that's eternal? it's pretty hard let's get rid of eternal religion <clears throat> we'll get rid of Brahminical culture we'll get rid of the cow protection we'll get rid of scholars, learned people we'll get rid of austerities and we'll get rid of sacrifice with remuneration so they've done a pretty good job nowadays of getting rid of all those things, haven't they? let's have a secular society where there's no God let's have Shudra or worse than that culture rather than Brahminical culture let all the learned people be in the pay of the governments and the businesses Uh, if you want to do sacrifice fine we're not going to remunerate you you'll have to you know get a job and we'll kill the cows so therefore modern society is in chaos and it's, it's it's in chaos at every level you know, in America, 40 percent of children are born out of marriage. In 1960, four percent of children were born out of marriage. So this is the result of their trying to get, you know, what are they how do they want to have good population? They want to have good population through abortion and birth control. They figure if there's abortion and birth control, then only people who want children will have them, and you'll have good population. But instead, what birth control and abortion have led to? is a 10 10 times increase in the amount of unwanted population. So as soon as you try to be happy without vision, you have chaos. We're going to conquer disease through antibiotics. Now most bacteria are resistant to antibiotics, and they're harder to eradicate than they were before the invention of antibiotics. Now we're going to have better living through chemistry. That was the motto on television when I was a kid better living through chemistry I forget what it was advertising but is it better living you can't even breathe I mean when I was little the concept of walking around with, a, with bottles of water didn't exist you could drink water anywhere now you have to carry your own water and everybody has to have a filter you just drink water and what's next canisters of oxygen Everyone's going to have to carry around their own air. Again, you can't, and the food you eat isn't really food. You know, I, As a kid, I remember watching this uh, television show, Star Trek, where they were traveling through the universe, and a computer created food. It synthesized food. You just poured in some chemicals, you know, and you came out with artificial food. And we thought that was great. Advancement of civilization and there's lots and lots of this artificial food it's not just some science fiction show there's tons of things you can buy now that basically aren't coming from the earth anymore it's just cooked up in some chemical laboratory I remember when my oldest son was 8 he saw a sign for Coca-Cola that said just for the taste of it he says yeah, they're eating food just for the taste it's not real food now, zero calorie drink that means there's no nutrition in it Food without nutrition. Food without value. Of course, it's got lots of chemicals and we'll tell you all the myriad diseases that you'll get. Instead of health and happiness and strength and energy, you'll get exhausted and cancer. And what do we give you for your cancer? More chemicals. We'll kill your cancer cells and we'll kill most of the rest of you too. So that's, that's our cures, our cures for the diseases. As Prahlad Mara said, the cure is worse than the disease. Often the side effects of the medicine are the same as the disease is supposed to cure. (laughs) It's a fact. Here's a headache medicine that the side effect may be headaches. Remember when my mother was old and she was having a lot, she was very sick and she was having a lot of problems. And just by getting rid of two thirds of her medicine, a lot of her problems went away. So this is trying to be happy without God. We're going to be, try to be happy on our own by We're going to manipulate the material energy. We're going to be the masters of the material energy. We're going to do it without God, without the demigods, without premedical culture, without cow protection, without remuneration, with, 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 without tapasya. No more austerity, everybody. We're going to have a society without austerity. No more austerity. Just enjoyment. You want to enjoy a man or a woman? Just do it. Don't marry. What's this marriage thing? Why bother getting married? This has even infiltrated our Hare Krishna movement. You know, people, I remember one devotee came to me. Should I marry this guy? He doesn't have very good sadhana. You know, I've been chanting 32 rounds for years, but he gets up at 8 and he hardly even chants 16 and this and that. I said, well, I don't know. It doesn't sound very happy. She said, yeah, I don't get along very well with his mother. You know, she's always coming in the kitchen when I'm cooking. I said, what? Well, yeah, we've been living together for a year. Living together for a year? And you're asking whether or not you should marry him? So, you know, this is modern society, is enjoy the opposite sex without yajya. And enjoy uh, the freedom of single life without yajya. Just be single, do whatever you want, have the freedom of not having a family, but without any sacrifice. Forget about the sacrifice. Of course, what happens is, you know, and, and take from the earth without sacrifice. Take from the cow without sacrifice. Use knowledge without... Exploit knowledge. Exploit the people. Exploit the animals. Exploit the earth. Exploit the priests. Don't pay them. Sometimes... And this also infiltrates our right Krishna movement. Don't pay the priests. We think the fact that brahmanas don't get a salary means you shouldn't give them anything. How are they supposed to live? Sacrifice without remuneration, Krishna said, is in the mode of... Come on, Bhagavad Gita. Sacrifice without remuneration to the priest is in the mode of... Ignorance. Ignorance! Is true in Sankirtan Yagyo also. You know, I, was, I was recently at a... Uh, a program, a retreat program, you know, for increased hearing and chanting. And we all had to pay something for the room and for the prasadam, etc. And... Uh, at the end I, I thought it was like the third or fourth time I'd been to it and I asked the organizers at the end I was very ashamed I'd never done this before the people who are coming and speaking do they get any of this money that we pay they said no and they asked me to speak a little bit at the end and I said sacrifice without remuneration to the priests in the mode of ignorance and these devotees they've been our, our priests for this uh, Sankirtan Yajna and, and Bhagavatam Yajna and if they should be given donations. So unfortunately by the time I found out I didn't have, my money was in another location. I could only give each person 500 rupees which isn't a whole lot of money. It's only about $10. dollars <coughs> i about six or seven pounds. So you
1: know,
0: it, just, it was very pathetic. But we have this, this mood also. You know, these, these things infiltrate ISKCON. Brahminical culture. What does Brahminical culture mean? We will go through them one at a time. So brahminical culture means cleanliness, truthfulness. In 117, I think 30, Prabhupada says the essence of pleasing Krishna is truthfulness. Do we really adhere to truthfulness? Do we have truthfulness in our financial dealings? Do we have truthfulness in our preaching? Do we have truthfulness in our dealings with each other? What else is brahminical culture? Simplicity. And taking pleasure in the worship of the Lord. It's, it's interesting, very interesting, I find, that Prabhupada often talks about how the Kshatriyas were meant to be dedicated to Brahminical culture. Although Kshatriyas have a different kind of culture, there's the Kshatriya culture and the Vaisha culture and the Shudra culture. So, what does that mean? Kshatriyas have to be dedicated to Brahminical culture. I understand that it means that although it's not their culture, although Kshatriyas have a very different culture, still they make sure that their culture doesn't touch Brahminical culture. They make sure that the Brahmins are allowed to have their own culture that's not infiltrated by the rest of society. Do we do this? In our administrative meetings, do we have Brahminical culture? In our Hare Krishna meeting? Or do we have another kind of culture? Who are we copying? You know, sometimes we copy corporate America. Let's copy corporate America for how we're going to run our meetings and how we're going to do our management. And, you know, I'm sorry to say, but that's not Brahminical culture. It's Vaishya culture, which is fine for Vaishya activities. And it's good for Vaishya activities, but it's not good for running a Brahminical society, which is what Hare Krishna movement is supposed to be, in my understanding. So, do we really have Brahminical culture in our system of leadership? A Brahminical culture is also a very unbureaucratic and decentralized and probably said a number of times if you have bureaucracy you'll ruin everything bureaucratic culture is super culture and like this also in talking about Putina he said as soon as you have bureaucracy as soon as you have a mechanical system of organization then that's the end of a spiritual movement so Brahminical culture also means a different way of dealing with one another It means dealing with one another through what the organizational theorists call mutual adjustment and consensus. Something that looks to other people perhaps like anarchy, but isn't at all. It's more a a system of mutual respect and flexibility. It's interesting, Prabhupada talked about this when he talked about making a committee. And he said, you know, if you make a committee, you just have the committee exist for as long as you need it, then you dissolve it, and you make another committee as needed. So systems of verminical management and verminical culture are very fluid. And one time also, the devotees were complaining to Srila Prabhupada and saying, they do this, they do that. And Prabhupada says, what is this they? You are all they. He says, they means bureaucracy. Don't make it bureaucracy. So it's a very different kind of leadership than the sikris do. It's a very different kind of leadership than the vaishyas do. It's a very different kind of leadership than what the shudras do. So we should have Brahminical culture. That's difficult because we don't look out at society in general and see very many cultures that are Brahminical. It's hard for us to have a model. And if we try to say how to manage things, then we tend to look, you know, management we think in terms of business, generally. You know, if you get a management degree, that means a business degree. But that's not the only kind of management there is. Okay, so Brahminical culture. Then cow protection. So this has also proved a real problem for us in the Hare Krishna movement. It's a lot harder than it looks like. It's not just some sentimental stuffed cows in your room. You know, it's not just, I love cows. It's a lot of work. It's an incredible amount of work. It's a lot more of a commitment than having kids. You know, it's, it's something like having deities where you have to milk the cows twice a day and you have to keep them clean and you have to make sure they're warm enough and you have to make sure they have proper food and you have to make sure they have affection also. You know, it's a really big thing. And then training the oxen. So we have so many communities where, you know, do you have cows? Do you have one or two old ones that aren't doing anything because somebody did it and they couldn't maintain it. Cow protection—it's a whole commitment to an entirely different way of life than most of us are accustomed to. You know, and, and frankly, even even at some of our places where we have we actually have cow protection systems, they're still not fully what they would like to be. You know, I was at one such place recently, and they said, "Well, everything we grow for our local devotees is farmed with the oxen, but whatever we grow for sale is farmed with a tractor." You know, it's hard. I—we walk through one field. And I said, did the oxen plow this field? Because it was deep. And they said, no, we have to do this with the tractor. So it's very, very difficult. It requires a lot of surrender. It requires a completely different mentality than most of us who've grown up in the West have. And it's, it doesn't uh, correspond with the modern Vaishya practices of exploit, exploit, exploit. You know, you can't get cheap milk through a real cow protection program. There, there's some again. There's some sacrifice involved, as Krishna says. Krishna says, "I create, maintain, and destroy everything by penance." And he says, "In third chapter Bhagavad Gita, which, by the way, is one of the most amazing, as far as I'm concerned, places anywhere in the Shastras, the third chapter Bhagavad Gita. If you don't get that, you, you really can't go anywhere. That you have to engage in sacrifice." That's even if you want to be a Paramakandi, but to speak of if you want to be a bhakti yogi. Even if you just want to be a pious person, you have to do sacrifice, otherwise you're a thief. So we are, we're brought up in a society, I'm sorry to say, of thieves. Let's just steal from the cow. You know, it's just reading that now they don't just have mechanical milking machines, now they have robots that put on the cows. You've seen those mechanical milkers? They just stick the suction cups onto the teats. They walk away and just (laughs) pumps it out. Now they're going to have robots to put them on. You won't even have to go there and talk to the cow at all. So it's very, very hard for us who are products of this society, and by the way the Indians today are just as much products of this society as the Westerners. Please don't think that the Indians are any better in this regard because they're not. If you see the way cows are taken care of in India, you would vomit. It's so bad. It's bad beyond bad beyond bad. I I don't even want to say what they do, but I've seen it, and it's horrible. So, you know, we we don't have a model of how to do this. um, And how to give love and affection to the cow, how to really see the cow as our mother. Not just, you know, some way that we can have nice birthday to offer to the divas. In some way that we can say, Oh, I have a cow protection program. So, cow protection is very, very difficult. It's not an easy thing. It requires sacrifice. And it requires saying, I'm going to make a long term sacrifice. Okay, Vipra, people who are actually learned, Brahmanas who really, Prabhupada's translating this as Brahmanas, Brahmanas who are real Brahmanas. Like Prabhupada wanted everyone who took uh, Diksha to have a bhakti shastra degree. Not that he absolutely required it, but he wanted it. He wanted us to be able to speak with some authority of the Shastra. This means that we have to study Srila Prabhupada's books. Sometimes we're so busy working and we're so busy getting things done that we forget that we need to spend time with Srila Prabhupada's books. Every day and really spend time with Srila Prabhupada's books. I mean, like Krishna Dharma and Chintamani have a sentence-by-sentence study system. I'm sure they really would enjoy this one. The Asuric adherents of Kamsa wanted to disrupt the traditional condition of human happiness, and thus defeat the devitas, the devotees, and the demigods. So we have disrupt, defeat, devitas, devotees, demigods, Asuric adherents, traditional condition... Human happy. I'm sure they're going to enjoy that sentence they would probably spend a day or two on them. so one does not have to necessarily study Srila Prabhupada's books like that but actually to be learned and not just to study Prabhupada's books so one can answer a multiple choice exam to get your Bhakti Shastri to unfortunately most of the Bhakti Shastri exams are trivia exams which I've been arguing about for years and I finally gave up arguing about it you know they're just memorization exams what we in education call the lowest level of Bloom's taxonomy. Just knowing some facts. But knowledge, becoming a vipra, is not just knowing facts. It's not just knowing how many years Brahma lives and what are all the incarnations that Mahaprabhu mentions and what symbols are in each of their hands. Or, you know, what does Prabhupada say in the fifth line of the second purport on page 55? and That's not being a vipra. I mean, that's okay, there's nothing wrong with that. But that's not what we mean. We mean realized knowledge. Tattva Darshina, to actually realize the truth, to experience the truth, to live in the truth, to have not just Gyan but you know, I'm reading Mukundamaraj's book, and he's, a number of places he talks about how it was obvious to him that Shiva Prabhupada was living his philosophy. And by living the philosophy, I don't just mean that we go through the rituals, which again, I'm not saying we shouldn't go through the rituals, but that's not enough. Living the philosophy doesn't only mean I'm chanting my sixteen mounds and my three trees, and I'm eating only food offered to the deities. And it means I actually feel Krishna's presence. I'm actually thinking about Krishna, man Bhakta. Always remember Krishna, never forget him. At least I'm making an effort. To and it's so easy with Radhi Govinda. To always remember Krishna and Radhi Govinda so attractive. Incredible, incredible manifestation of the Lord you have here in Ishrat. Really amazing. Only been in one other place, New Maipur, where the deities are like that. And you just see that the deities are the center of the community. As soon as you walk in the temple room, you know, the deities are the wealth of the community here. Sometimes Krishna takes away all your other wealth so that you'll only have him. You know, you might think, well, we don't have much agriculture, (laughs) we don't have very many donations, only doing a few books, you know, we don't have very much, oh, we're failing. But then indeed, he's become everything. And as you can see that. So what we really, really, vipraha means, right? That one, is it Bhaganam genmanamante? Bhaganam janmanamante, yanmanam papadite, pasadevanasarga samahat samahatmesidurit who actually sees Vasudev everywhere. That's the real candy. That's the real vipraha. Not just being able to quote a lot of slokas or remember different names. It's interesting. You'll notice that, that Srivaprabha wasn't even very interested in that kind of thing, in his own preaching. And Prabhupada would tell stories, sometimes he'd mix up the names and the facts. He didn't seem particularly concerned about that kind of thing. He was more interested in being in love with Krishna So that's a real vipra. Then tapaha, austerity. So austerity should permeate everything. Because austerity is the measure of love. If if I say, I love you, but I'm not willing to take any trouble for you, there's not love. There's no meaning to love. You know, I love you, but I won't marry you. What What does that mean? That means I just want to use you and as soon as it's not convenient to use you, I'm going to go away. Yes, I love my guru, but I'm not going to take initiation. It was, it was the meaning. It's the same kind of thing. You know? I'm not going to do any tapasya. I'll chant when I feel like it. Uh, without some austerity, without some commitment, without some sacrifice, it, there's, not, it's, there's no meaning to love. I'm going to say, I love Krishna, but I'm not going to do any austerity. And Krishna set up the material world so that you can only enjoy with austerity. This is a, it's a really simple point, a really basic point, but once you understand this, your whole life shifts. It's one of those simple things that just changes everything. If you try to enjoy without austerity, everything becomes austerity. We try to enjoy without austerity, everything becomes austerity. That's what's happening in modern society. We gave so many examples at the beginning of the class. They're trying to enjoy without austerity. Everything becomes austerity. Let's enjoy sex life without marriage, subtler growths. And, and human relationships now become less the austerity. People are suffering so much in their human relationships. Let's get the food without actually nourishing the earth. And now we're all suffering because the earth is polluted. You know, let's enjoy the water without cleaning it. Let's enjoy the cow without taking care of her. The whole mentality is let's enjoy without sacrifice. And the result is everything becomes sacrifice, everything becomes austerity. You don't get any enjoyment anymore. And if you do the proper sacrifice, then everything becomes enjoyment, even the sacrifice. This is explained in 4.24. Everything merges into transcendence. That the supreme truth is eternally situated in acts of sacrifice. Very much related to this verse. Where does Vishnu live? Where is Vishnu situated? The supreme eternal transcendence, Vishnu says in Gita, is eternally situated in acts of sacrifice. We all have experience that if I sacrifice for someone I love, I enjoy the sacrifice. Isn't it? If it's somebody's birthday and you have, you know, you don't have that much money, but you take your boat across the water and you go to a shop and you spend your money to get something for that person, that those activities are also pleasurable. The trouble you're taking for somebody, that trouble is pleasurable. Don't we all have that experience? That when I take trouble for a friend or a relative or the trouble I take for Krishna, that trouble is itself. We're we're, we're enjoying, we're relishing that trouble. The sacrifice merges into transcendence. If you want to enjoy the freedom of renunciation, then you have to do the sacrifice of renunciation you don't have a bank account. You don't get subtle enjoyment, what to speak of, gross enjoyment from the opposite sex. You don't have very many possessions. You give up the concept of controlling. You want to enjoy the opposite sex, fun, and then you marry them. You take responsibility. You have children. You earn money. You maintain a house. You give in charity. And if we're honest and we say, this is what I want to enjoy, also, in this day and age, we're not very honest about what we want to enjoy. If, we're, if you know, this is what I want to enjoy. This is the proper food for me at this time and place in my life. And then you do the concomitant sacrifice for it, and then everything, even the sacrifice, becomes pleasurable. Now, that's just karma kanda. That's just pious life. You know, many times we don't even get that. We have householders who are trying to be both householders and renunciates at the same time. And we have renunciates who are trying to be renunciates and householders at the same time. You know, they're trying to get the pleasure from both situations while paying the price of neither. And then they wonder why they can't maintain it. Why does the family fall apart? Why does the renunciation fall apart? And of course, the devotee is performing sacrifices. The devotee is performing sacrifices, not kanda, not so they can enjoy the world, but so they can use their propensities and their desires in Krishna's service, and they're performing sacrifices as one of the six loving exchanges. But whatever we want, there's a price, and if we pay the price happily as a gift to Krishna, and we accept whatever happiness and distress Krishna gives us as his persona. Then everything becomes happiness. Even the distress becomes happiness. Isn't that strange? If I give myself to Krishna properly, according to my nature, according to my ashram, according to my varna, according to give actually me to Krishna, I sacrifice appropriately. And then Krishna will give me appropriate facility as his persona. So nice to explain in Samhita, uh, 61, purport by Bhaktisanaṭta funny." or some people say it's by Jīva Goswami. So, sacrifice, joyful sacrifice, not grudging sacrifice. Like Krishna says, charity in the mode of passion means something given at the request of a superior with remorse later. And I understand charity, I mean, not just money, but anything we give. My time, my energy. You know, okay, I'm doing this just because my guru told me to do it, and I don't want to do it. My town president told me to do it. My husband told me to do it, and I don't want to do it. I wish I wasn't doing it. I wish I was doing something else. Why did I have to do this? Why did I listen to that? That's not, that's not useless. It's useless. It doesn't do anything. But one should be giving. One should be giving. One sacrifices... What does probably say? Individual, spontaneous and voluntary. We're trying to be trained in sadhana bhakti to come to the platform of Raganudabhakti bhakti or spontaneous devotion. Individual, spontaneous and voluntary. We should be doing what we're doing because we want to be doing it. And if we don't want to do what we're doing, then we should either find a way to want to do it or change what we're doing. And not do something where we're just you know, lamenting afterwards. Why have I given so much? Why am I being forced to do this? Should be Kavalan and under the kind of, Should be always joyful. Then yogya sadakshinaha with proper remuneration. So we have you know the very strict instructions from Srila Prabhupada about not receiving salaries, that Brahmins shouldn't receive salaries, but that doesn't mean that they should have to be living out under a tree in the middle of the Irish winter. It doesn't mean they don't get remuneration. So we have You know, somehow we've taken the salary concept to mean that those people who are priests shouldn't get any remuneration. They shouldn't get taken care of. And I see over and over and over again where there's projects, you know, okay, you're going to get the Bhakti Shastra degree and the Bhakti Vaibhava degree or we're going to have a Kirtan weekend or we're going to have a Japa weekend or whatever. And we ask devotees to compensate for the prasadam and compensate for the electricity and the Brahmin who's leading the Yajna gets nothing. You know, they get a little kichri to eat. So that's... We don't have a, a culture, unfortunately. This is something that the Indians do have. The Indians do have a culture of giving dakshin. But we in the West don't have this kind of a culture. Now you know, we, we, don't, we don't understand it. And of course we've had some bad experience in this kind of leaders who misused money. So, some places it's really bad. You know, places that are, that are really from, that started at the beginning of ISKCON, like America, and London, it's, it's really bad. Especially if you have a lot of senior people, they don't want to give anything to anybody. Because they had so many bad experiences. You know, they don't even want to play, pay for your plane fare to go there. Somehow you're supposed to pull the money out of the clouds, you know? and, and everybody's supposed to have a rich uncle in their pocket. It's, it's really a problem. So this is... And that doesn't just mean the sannyasis, it means anybody who's performing yoga. So we have a situation, we have very brahminical householders who are actually qualified to live as Brahmanas, but it's very hard for them to be maintained in the society because nobody wants to give them any remuneration. And so then they have to go out and work for the non-devotees and get a salary from the non-devotees. And be very unhappy in their lives, not be properly situated. So that's part of Brahminical culture, is to have some system where we can maintain Brahmanas, not with salaries. And Brahmins don't need much. If they're real Brahmanas, they're not going to ask for much. A real Brahmana is not going to ask for gold plated toilet flushers. <laughs> and if any of you know what I'm talking about, maybe some of you have been there. So, you know, that's not, that's not a real brahmana. You know, a real brahmana doesn't need a marble-encrusted shower that looks like an altar. So that's, that's not what we're saying. We're not saying to, to maintain brahmanas as if they're, you know, polygamous kings. Sorry to be so upfront. But, but actually to, to give, you know, what does a Brahmin want? A little cottage, a little place to study the Shastras. You know, enough rice and dal and japati so that the children can eat and whatever. And, and the Brahman is happy. And then they can go about doing their duties without anxiety. But we're seeing in a Hare Krishna movement that people who are actually Brahmanists and who'd be able to contribute a lot to society, they don't get taken care of. And they're expected to give everything without any remuneration at all. They're expected to go there, they're expected to, to teach a class, you know, for five months or six months somewhere, <laughs> and provide their own accommodation and their own prasadam and their own travel and leave with nothing. It's really funny, isn't it? Well, how are they supposed to be living? And then if they go out and work a job, then we criticize them, well, why are you working a job? So what's the difference between remuneration and a salary? Well, a salary is a set amount of money that you get every month and it puts you under the control of the person who's paying you. Whereas remuneration, you never know how much you're going to get, you never know who's going to give it to you, you never know where it's going to come from. You don't become the pet of some uh, rich person or some business. And you're always, uh, the real brahmana is always very cautious about from whom they take remuneration also. So they'd much rather uh, live poor and live, and actually live under a tree than to take money that ever has strings attached. Do you understand? You know, if they see that there's any conditions given to the charity, then they won't accept it. Prabhupada even talks about that a Brahmin uh, may not accept charity from a materialistic person at all, they only accept charity from very spiritually enlightened persons. So if we want to have a non-chaotic society... You know, this we're we're looking at this first from the platform of the demons, and also from the opposite platform. So the demons are saying, if you want to destroy the demigods, who Krishna explains in the third chapter is, is who brings us prosperity. If you want to destroy the demigods, then destroy Vishnu. If you want to destroy Vishnu, destroy Sanatana Dharma, destroy Brahminical culture, destroy people who are actually learned, it, destroy cow protection, destroy austerity, and destroy sacrifices with remuneration. So we can look at it the other way and say, if we want to have actual happiness that's, that's not, what's the opposite of chaos, that's orderly, that's systematic, that's reliable, that's secure, if we want to have that, then we need to have these things. We need to have yagya with dakshin, we need to have austerity, we need to have people who are actually learning and realized, we need to establish Brahminical culture, and most importantly, we need to have Sanatam dharma. So, Sanatana Dharma can amazingly exist even without all those things. Even in a situation of chaos, like we were talking the other day about Sarvabhavana in Soviet prisons, he didn't have any of those things, but he had Sanatana Dharma. So, it's certainly possible to have Sanatana Dharma even if all around you cows and babies are being killed and spiritual organizations are being run like, you know, bureaucratic. American for-profit corporations and the people doing yagyas are never remunerated and nobody does any austerity anymore. It's still possible to have Sanat That's what's wonderful about Mahaprabhu's movement. That's what's incredible about Mahaprabhu's movement as opposed to the yoga ladder. The yoga ladder, if you're going to go up the yoga ladder, if you don't have these things in place, you can't take a step forward. You're lost. But in Mahakrabhu's movement, even if all those things are a mess, even if your life is a total mess, you can still achieve Sanatana Dharma. Why is that? Because Sanatana Dharma ultimately is not dependent on any of these other things. Sanatana Dharma is the nature of the soul. It's transcendental. So one can fall in love with Krishna in any condition. One can fall in love with Krishna in a Siberian labor camp where there's no cow protection, there's no vernical culture, there's no sacrifices with or without remuneration. There's lots of austerity but not the right kind. Nobody's learned. And you can still fall in love with Krishna because that's the nature of the soul. How foolish these demons are thinking they can kill something eternal. But it's really hard to access Sanatana Dharma without these things. I mean, if if we're in a situation where they're impossible, where we're captured by the KGB and thrown into a Siberian labor camp and we have no choice about it, we can't keep cows in our cell, you know. what to do? But if we have the option of setting up things to support Sanatana Dharma, then that's what we should also do. And Shilatoppa is asking us over and over again to do that. He's asking us to establish biblical culture, to establish cow protection, to have sacrifices, to have proper yogis with remuneration, to be actually learned. He's asking us to do that and it makes it so much easier to awaken our eternal nature. Bhakti's not dependent on those things, bhakti's not dependent on those things, bhakti's not dependent on those things, bhakti's not dependent on those things. On those things. Even the prostitutes and Dwarka were pure devotees, bhakti's not dependent on those things. Jitayu, who was a vulture, was a pure devotee. <coughs> he was a vulture, he wasn't even human. He wasn't even an ice bird, he wasn't like a swan. He was a vulture. Well, bhakti's not dependent on those things. But they sure make it easier. It's very hard to engage in bhakti if we have a Sudra culture or a Vaishya culture instead of a Brahminical culture. so much easier to engage in bhakti when yogis have proper remuneration. It's so much easier to engage in bhakti when people do the concomitant tapasthiya for whatever they want to enjoy. It's so much easier to engage in bhakti when you actually know the scriptures. Rupa Goswami gives faith in the scriptures. The level of faith in the scriptures as equal to the level of qualification for engaging in vaidhi bhakti. Which makes sense, since vaidhi bhakti is based on the scriptures. How are you going to engage in something based on the scriptures if you don't know the scriptures? That's pretty hard. So, we should try our best to do these things. Not focus on these things as the goal in and of themselves. They're not. Not the International Society for Cow Protection, or the International Society for Jugger with Remuneration, or the International Society for Even Dominical Culture, or the International Society for Austerity. Those are not goals in and of themselves. But they're extremely helpful. Extremely helpful. And the more we can do them, the more we can try to have a society where these things are accomplished in a sane way, then the easier it will be to have actually Sinatan dharma, and the easier it will be to always remember Vishnu. And then the demigods will also be pleased and will reign prosperity among all. And Prabhupada says we can return to Satya which would mean that somehow or other the land and the water and the air would become purified again. So thank you very much for having me here. I hope I didn't offend anybody by I have a whole list of things that I have some intensity about. So questions, comments, additions, subtractions, corrections, chastisements. Yes? I to ask
3: if you could give example of this
0: renunciation or that you renounce and you also still want to be oh sure that's easy so somebody is they're a brahmacharya or sannyasi or a vanaprasta, they have a personal bank account Um, they're getting their energy from the opposite sex they're always flirting with the opposite sex you know when they play mudanga they want to make sure that the opposite sex is watching Maybe they even have a job, a house. Big fancy house, you know, 300 adoring members of the opposite sex. Super opulent food, lots and lots of money, super opulent clothing. in all but the gross way they're like so you go and you say oh here's a polygamous king and maybe the gross way too you find out after 10 years because it, you, because a person in that kind of a situation they're not getting the happiness of the an renowned order and nor are they really getting the happiness of the brahasta ashram you can't live without happiness you just can't We're an under-mayabhya-sat. We cannot live without happiness. Impossible. Now, if you're already experiencing the happiness of of Krishna consciousness, that's another thing. If you're fully 100% swimming in the ocean of of prema. But unless and until we are fully swimming in prema, we also need some support from our material situation. Does that make sense? You have to. So there's a lot of pleasure being renunciate. A lot. What's the main pleasure being renunciate? Oh, renunciates in the audience. Freedom. Freedom. Right? It's lovely. I mean, it's really cool. Yeah, you, know, you might think, you don't have a house? Yeah, I don't have a house no mortgage, no rent, no plumbing you don't have a community? yeah, no community, no politics it's freedom you can go where you want, you can do what you want I mean, it's pretty amazing you don't have a house to control you don't have a feeling of okay, my socks are always over here I mean less in your bag, you know. My socks are in this part of my bag. That's a little different. You can't set up your life the way you want to set up your life. You don't you never know. Is your room gonna be warm? Is it gonna be cold? Are you gonna sleep on the floor? You're gonna sleep on a bed? Is there gonna be hot water in the shower? Is there gonna be a shower? <laughs> you know? Is there only gonna be kitchen? Are there gonna be samosas? Are they gonna to forget to pick you up at the airport? Well, that, that's the austerity that's, it. that's the price that you pay the price the brahmachari pays is they're under authority like, brahmachari means actually a child that they're tightly under authority Second. that clear? so freedom is lovely who doesn't want to be free? Then I mean, you got to pay the price. Now, grahastas have, have a kind of freedom by having money. If you have money, you have a certain kind of freedom. But you can buy what you want and go where you want in terms of money, but you don't have the same amount of freedom. You've got to make sure your husband is taken care of, your wife is taken care of, your children are taken care of. Householder means a house. Generally, householder means you're holding a house. Householder without a house. <laughs> it's one letter the prophet said you know householder means wife, children, house why are you trying to make it something else so you have a certain kind of freedom in the life but not really but what you the, with the pleasure you have in the life is security a sense of security a sense of control And then you do the austerity for that. What's the austerity? You know, you have the pleasure of enjoying the opposite sex. What's the austerity to do for that? You have to put up with the opposite sex. What do
3: you do with
0: that mean? To tolerate. You have to deal with it. Men and women have very different psychologies. So that from that arises some enjoyment. It's enjoyable for a woman. To have a male psychology to balance her. It's enjoyable for a man to have a female psychology to balance him. That's very pleasurable. It is. It's very pleasurable for a woman to have a man in her life who says, It's all right, just calm down, everything will be okay. You don't have to worry about it. I'll take care of you. (gasps) I'll take care of you. It's okay. (sighs) Okay. You know, and it's pleasurable for a man to have someone around who's going,
1: A <laughs> it is. Oh, you're getting you sorry. Oh, okay.
0: it's but then you got to put up with it, also. You know, there's there's the other side of it. You got to put up with. <laughs> if you do the the sacrifice and the pleasure, they're they're like this. It's like children are a pleasure. It's it's pleasurable. You know, the little child going...
1: Hi, Gita Hi, di Dada. You know, enjoyable. Khorati. 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 Well, That's enjoyable.
0: And then you also got to put up with that.
1: <laughs> I want the sweet right now. <laughs> you know,
0: it's this. It's this other side. <coughs> that makes sense. So if someone says, I want to be a grahasta, but I want to keep the freedom of the renounced ashram, then they won't actually enjoy their grahasta life. And it won't act to purify them. They won't get purified by it. And if someone says, you know, okay, I want to keep the freedom of the renounced ashram and enjoy the money and the opposite sex of the grahasta ashram, they won't get the pleasure of the renounced ashram and it won't purify them. It's a a scientific system. Same with the Varnas. You know, if you want the pleasure of study, but you don't protect the truth, if you exploit the truth, you won't actually enjoy your study. If you want to get the pleasure of helping people and taking care of people and being the, you know, super father, but instead you exploit the people, then you won't enjoy being a, a leader. If you want to have the pleasure of wealth, but you exploit the earth and you kill the cows, you won't actually enjoy your wealth. If you want to get the pleasure of the arts and the skills, and, but you exploit them, you use them to promote sensualism, and you create the goods of society and factories instead of as, a, as an art form, you, know, you won't enjoy that either. You won't enjoy even your, the fruits of what you're doing. So if you don't do the proper sacrifice, there's no happiness. What does Krishna say? There's no happiness in this life or the next if you live a life without sacrifice. One who just tries to enjoy their senses lives a life in vain. It's useless. But we're so indoctrinated by this idea in the West that we we just can't, you know, we're terrified of sacrifice. We think it's just going to be miserable. But it's not. When you do it for Krishna, according to the Shastra, then you actually enjoy what Krishna is giving you as prasadam. Which is what Krishna wants us to enjoy. You know that, right? You know Krishna doesn't want us to suffer. Right? Everybody knows that. And you also enjoy... He's not a demon. And you also enjoy the sacrifice because you're doing it for Krishna. You're cleaning up your baby's stool and urine because for Krishna. That's so you can enjoy your kid. You know, and you're putting out with the male psychology for Krishna. This is my service for Krishna. I accept the fact that my husband's protecting me as Krishna's prasada. I really know Krishna's only protecting me. Not my husband. My husband can't protect me. But I accept that Krishna's given me this, this jiva to take care of me as his grace and his gift on me because I'm not yet fully able to see Krishna's protection and I need this. And I'm taking care of this man whose male psychology drives me crazy sometimes, as my yajna, as my service. I'm doing this for Krishna. Not so that my husband will be pleased and my husband will love me. That's materialistic. So Krishna will be pleased. I'm doing it for Krishna to smile at me. Some days my husband may smile at me, some days he's not going to smile at me. If I'm doing it for that, I'll be frustrated. Some days the devotees in the temple will appreciate, you know, me as the temple president, temple president's wife. Some days they won't. Some days they're going to come and say, Jai, temple president, Prabhu!" And some days they go, "Yeah, temple yeah. president." No. And if I'm working for that, then my then I'm going to be like this. I'm working for Krishna, and Krishna is going to give me some prasadam. Krishna is going to give me some psychological prasadam that I can look and say, "Yes, I've taken care of these devotees." I've taken care of this temple I've been able to do something for my guru and for Krishna and then what's the sacrifice you've got to put up with all the different devotees you've got to deal with all their different psychologies and tendencies and baggage and trauma that they all went through in their life that had nothing to do with you and that they're putting on you because you know you're the big father Is the tapasya, and that you have the responsibility that you're the one who looks at the electrical bill and says, oh my God, we've got to pay 4,000 pounds tomorrow. And all the other devotees are blissfully turning on the ovens and the heaters and not worrying about it, and you're there sweating buckets. You know. And that's your tapasya. We're doing that for Krishna. You're saying, Krishna, I offer the sweat to you.
1: <laughs> Seriously, I'm really serious.
0: You know, it's for, I'm doing it for you. You know, or if you're Vana Prashtar, you're sannyasi. Why, why are you traveling? It's a pain to travel. It's not, it's, it's not enjoyable. You're doing that for Krishna. There's a sacrifice I'm doing for you. There's pleasure in helping the devotees. There's a lot of pleasure in helping the devotees. That's what's Krishna's persona. I've been able to help the devotees. I've been able to serve the devotees. And able to give them something that helps them in their spiritual life. And there's a sense of satisfaction. And just there's an enjoyment and freedom also. There really is. And then you offer the sacrifice to Krishna. Again, there's the kind of anxiety. Am I going to get a ride or not? Am I going to have a place to stay or not? Are they going to feed me something nice or not? And you offer that to Krishna. Krishna, that's for you. I'm doing that for you. You know, in the Brahmacharya, the sacrifice is doing what you're told if you're actually Brahmacharya. By the way, most people shouldn't stay in the Brahmacharya ashram. Past 25, you should move to the Grahastavana pastor or Samyasa Because most, most men don't want to just be under somebody's strict authority after 2025. But that's the sacrifice of the Brahmacharya ashram. I'm just doing what I'm told, I'm under authority, like a child. I just follow instructions. I don't necessarily get to utilize all my psychophysical nature, which is particularly in the grahasta ashram, by the way. It's another happiness of the grihasta ashram. Because in the grihasta ashram is where you really exhibit the varnas. Varna means your means of livelihood. You don't have the full range of activities in the Brahmacharya vanaprastha, and Sanyasasha. Just like as soon as Bhakti Saraswati body took sannyas, he gave up being an astrologer. Not because astrology is maya, but because he didn't want to have a means of livelihood as a sannyasa. Astrology is not maya for a, a grahasta. Has their income. So you accept this is this is what I need as an individual, this is what I need right now. This is a sacrifice, okay? Is that clear? And then everything merges into transcendence, Bhagavad Gita four twenty four.
2: It all becomes blissful. Yes, Maharaj. Mm-hmm. I was just thinking that um, you've given a nice explanation of everything. And then when you spoke about the Brahmachari Ashramis, you know, you were talking about traditional when devotees, uh, when people are assessed very young and from five years onwards. Uh, but you know, most of, I mean, I didn't join well after twenty-five anyway. Right. <laughs> so we have to, uh, you know, also consider that situation. That you know, it's a it's, it's a mix up. Kali Yuga situation, so a lot of thought has to be gone into before we can...
0: I'd, I'd like to see that we really help those people who wanted to be lifetime renunciates to get into the Vanaprastha Ashram instead of continuing to call them in the Brahmacharya Ashram.
2: I think that's naturally happening because... It is naturally happening. Yeah. It is, but yeah. I'd like to
0: see us, I'd like to see us acknowledge that it's happening and make provision for it to happen. No, someone like Dravidaprabhu, he's not a Brahmacharya, he's a no. You can go directly, mm-hmm. Prabhupada says you can go directly from the Brahmacharya ashram to any of the other three ashrams. Because mm-hmm. the Brahmacharya is like this under authority. Or Drudakarma, of course he was a Brahasta for a while. But uh, I'd like to see it more acknowledged that uh, most men and, and even, probably not, the women are a little bit more able to be tightly under authority than men are. But even women who don't marry their whole life, they don't, they're not really brahmacharis. At a certain point, they become more like vānaprasthus. And Prabhupāda talks about the ashrams as an increasing of independence, that the sannyasis are fully independent. He talks about the vānaprasthus also in terms of independent. And the, the brahmachari is fully, is fully dependent. So what I see is that people go on calling themselves brahmacharis and acting, you know, sorry, they start acting more and more like vānaprasthus. And it's, it becomes unclear what's their relationship with the temple and what's their relationship with authority. And I wonder if some people who could be lifetime renunciates end up mistakenly entering to the grahasta ashram where they try to live like renunciates in the grahasta ashram and they just like a mess of things. And if they could have been helped to enter into the vanaprastha ashram, they could have maintained their renunciation. Just things that I'm thinking about. You know, how to how to guide
2: I think uh, people it's, it's good right. to have that uh, framework so that, you know, devotees are clear. But what seems to be happening is that even a young devotee, if he's very confident, he naturally gets a lot more freedom and nobody tries to push him around, you know, because he's actually able to do a lot of things. Yes. Then he naturally functions on that platform and everybody accepts that, you know. That's I think true. anybody who tries to, you know, control it won't work anyway, you know. Yes.
0: But I'm wondering then, okay, what's the benefit? Because see, these the varnas and ashrams exist even in materialistic society in some form. So this is something I've been meditating on a lot lately because I'm thinking of writing about it. Because I'm a fool, a real big fool. <laughs> Fools rushing where angels fear to tread. I'm thinking about writing about the organization of society and varna ashram, and I've already started and I'm compiling a things. So, you know, why, and it's getting late, so we can't talk about it much, you know, what's the purpose of dividing occupations into only four categories? Because you might think that there's thousands of categories of occupations. What's the purpose of dividing life into four? What's the purpose of putting a label on it? I mean, it all happens anyway. There are already scholars and priests and teachers and there are politicians and there are business people and farmers and... There are craftspeople and musicians and artists, and there are these students and married people and renounced people. What's the purpose of the label? What I've come to, sort of in a preliminary way, is that the purpose of the label is you know what sacrifice to do. You know what your rights and responsibilities are. Kind of. You could put it that way. You know, you could put your pleasures as your rights and your your toposities as your responsibilities. And then other people also know how to treat you. You know what's the what's your own dharma? You know, I get a lot of people, a lot. One of the big questions that I get wherever I go deals with how do I be a good devotee and be what does it mean to surrender to my authority? What does surrender to my authority mean? That if I'm a good devotee and I'm a surrendered authority, it should mean that, and I'm a surrendered devotee. It should mean that whatever my authority tells me to do, I just do that. Without question, that I'm not that this tight, like probably the other one profile, like military discipline, that we're, sort of, we're on a battlefield and the commander says, "Go this, do there, you know, do this, go there, whatever, and I just do it." But we find that as the devotees mature in age and in Krishna consciousness, that most of them are not comfortable doing that. They can't function like that. And then they feel torn that, well, I'm not surrendered anymore. I'm falling down in my Krishna consciousness. I should just be able... I I have a few letters in my inbox from people like that. Why doesn't someone just tell me what to do? Just tell me what to do. And I, I see that by not having a clear understanding of the ashrams, we perpetrate this idea that what you do when you're in training is the model for your life. That there's a difference between training, you know, when you're in training when you're a graduate, what's your relationship with Guru, what's your relationship with the temple authorities, it should change. That being under authority has a different meaning. You know, so even those of us who are vanapastas and sannyasis and, and brahmanas, we're still under authority. It doesn't mean the same as if you're a shudra or if you're a brahmachari. It's a different. It, 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 it looks different. And so I see that there's some values to having the proper label for people. So if we're treating a brahmachari like he's a vanapastra, because that's actually what he is, but we don't call it that, then it can set up a conflict within the individual. That, well, maybe I'm not behaving properly. Maybe I'm not really as surrendered as I'm supposed to be. And it can also sometimes set up a conflict with the, with, with the authorities, where the authorities sometimes may feel that, well, I'm still supposed to be able to go to this person and treat them like they're still a Brahmacharya. So that's, I, I just run into it a lot. I run into it a lot with Brahastas also, who have this, this idea that I'm supposed to relate to the ISKCON leaders and to my spiritual masters if I'm in a Brahmacharya. And if I don't, then I'm not a surrendered devotee, and then I'm not obedient to my authority. So I, I see that, it's, that there's some value. That just because things happen naturally and organically doesn't mean we shouldn't put a name on them. And it can help people also. I mean, just in my own personal life, I saw my husband going psychologically into the Vainapastra Ashram. For three years, he started, he started acting like a manifest, instead of like a grahasta. And I wanted to hold on to him in the grahasta ashram. I didn't, I didn't want to let happen what was happening. And one day I just said, this is Sylvia. He was 52 years old, and I said, I said, Prabhu, you know, what do you want to do? He said, your body's in the grahasta ashram and your mind is in the manifest ashram. What ashram do you want to be in? Said, do you want to be a Grahastana or do you want to be a Vanaprastana? He looked at me and he said, Can I be a Vanaprastana? I said, okay. He said, Can you help me find some preaching service to get into? You know, our GBC helped with that. And, you know. But it, it would have been nice if i had, had if we had some guidance from somebody. That would have been awfully nice. Instead of, you know, just have, kind of have to figure it out on your own. And, and sort of. <coughs> Sludge through the whole thing. And nobody really tells you what to look for, or what are the symptoms, or what does it mean. And then you go into a new ashram, and there's nobody there to guide you. Like, okay, what do I do now? What do I do? Should I change what I wear? Should I change what I eat? Should I change how I behave? What's my What's my duty? How do I live? You fall. So yeah, it happens organically. It
2: does. No, there's merit in what you're saying. I'm just saying that uh, at the moment, you know, it's just to stop devotees thinking that uh, that it is actually happening within. It does happen. And, you know, a lot of devotees can actually understand and accept that, and a lot of authorities can do that, but I know that sometimes it doesn't work like that. Yes. That, you know, the authorities are not maybe so uh, experienced as they think they are, and they're uh, trying to implement, you know, same principles, and somebody was... Like 50 years old yeah. and, you know uh, the same as somebody who's 18 years old that's right and, uh, someone who's happening. been a devotee for 10 yeah.
0: 15 years and is already showing responsibility and able to manage a project and I was just recently in a situation where I saw somebody's spiritual life practically almost crushed because of this you yeah. know and that's not the first or the second or the third or the fourth story that I could tell you. So this is what I see as one of the reasons why Prabhupada emphasized Varnashram so much, which is, after all, something material. Because it's, it's, it's more difficult if you don't figure these things out, if you don't say, you know, okay, what are you? And, and what are you? It's, an, it's, a, it's a false upadhi in one sense, but you still know where you fit in the world, where you fit with the other devotees, what your rights and responsibilities are.
1: Yes, would you explain more about the
0: process then? Maybe next time. I <laughs> more more. Maybe next time. I, I think it's something. I think this is an ashram we're really starting to learn about in this class. Starting to discover it. Um, what's his name? Janananda Maharaj compiled all of the quotes. That's what he says. I haven't checked and seen maybe he, if you missed one or two, but he says he compiled all the quotes from Prabhupada's books about the Vana Prasta Ashram. And we were having some meetings in Radha with the Vana Prasta ladies, and we we're starting an outline of a book for guidance for women who are in a renounced ashram, which is not very much acknowledged. Or, I mean, I think of all the Vanas and Ashram as women who are in a renounced ashram is the least understood which gives us some advantages we don't have any bureaucratic system <laughs> trying to control us so. that, that has its, definitely has its advantages we're, we're under the radar for all practical purposes we don't exist, right? but this is, this is something that we need to explore you know, what does that mean? I know the I know that the essential principle of the vanaprastha ashram is tapasya, and Prabhupada talks about it as a higher degree of freedom.
2: How do you? Sorry.
0: How do you exercise tapasya?
2: No, I'm just going back a, a sentence or two. That. Um,
0: <clears throat> Am I in a lot of trouble because it's after nine? Are you there like seething because it's after nine? Am I in trouble?
2: No, no, it's great.
1: Okay. It's great. <laughs> I just it. want
0: to make sure, you know, I don't want to be labeled as. Very the person who went way over time who will never invite back.
1: <laughs>
0: you never know what people are thinking. I'm sorry, yes.
2: No, I mean, um, the once one uh, <clears throat> Vangapasta lady, she was talking to a senior sannyasi and she said that when I was in New the temple authorities told me to take sannyas and so I went away. And then the senior sannyasi said to me, he said, uh, but listen to that, I said, she did right, you know, it shouldn't take sense. But he, went, he wanted more detail, so he, he explained the thing in detail. And he was talking about how actually a woman should be protected in three stages of life, you know, in the yes. marriage stage, the, in the early stage of marriage, and then uh, retired. <clears throat> and he were emphasizing that point. So it seems like that even though one may be internally renounced, you know, as a lady, and may be able to follow that lifestyle, that... Still, because of the bodily um, construction and uh, certain things, that there, there, there should be somebody, according to what this, what this, uh, these three things should be overseen to make sure that you know she's actually looked after.
0: Definitely, but that doesn't mean that there aren't women in the renounced stas.
2: There are. Yeah,
0: Bhana is also a renowned stash. So there's descriptions in the fourth and the seventh canto of the Bhagavatam for women in the vanaprastha Ashram. And some of those women are not going to have a husband or a son or a father. And that's just the reality. So what, is, you know, what does it mean for women who are in the vanaprastha Ashram with that husband, son, father? So I see we also do some disservice for women who get to be, you know, 45, 50, 55 years old, and there's no husband, son, father, and they think they have to go find another one. You know, they've been... You have to have somebody, you have to have a man, you have to have a man, you have to have a man, and it, it, it gets to be absurd. You know, they're 58, and I had an experience like this. You know, this woman comes to me, oh, I have to get married, how old are you? 58. I said, you know, sorry. <laughs> I said, you can't do that dharmically anymore. Marriage means home and money and children. How are you going to have children? This is absurd. So what are you going to do? I mean, even if a woman was married, maybe her husband died. Maybe Krishna never sent her a son. Maybe she doesn't have a brother. Maybe she doesn't have an uncle. Maybe they're all non-devotees and they can't take care of her. What will that mean? So these are the kind of things that we have to explore. You know, and you run into risky situations if you have some male temple authorities being the protector of a, of a woman. That can be funny, too. Right? Correct? Yes? So it's, it's tricky how to do it. And there are some women who are be being the minority, but there are some women who are genuine lifetime renunciates. Who are the real deal? I haven't met many men who are the real deal. But there are some. They're rare. So what, what about them? And that's also existed. Mata Goswami was one of them. It's not just a modern, it's not just a, something from modern society. There are women. What do you do with them? And you know, Janavama, after the passing of Ula Nityananda from this world, from a practical point of view, she was living like a sannyasa. She was traveling and preaching with her stepson. Fira so she didn't formally take sannyas. But that's what she was practically speaking, living like a sannyas. Gagamata Goswami was living like Kshetra sannyas. So these are things that we, that we need to explore. What does it mean? What are, the, what are the principles? I'm not saying I have answers. I'm just saying that these are questions that we need to explore. And that I'm looking for the answers. I'm trying to explore the answers. I'm trying to understand the answers. And what does it mean that a woman should be protected when she's older? I consider myself fortunate. I have two sons and a son-in-law that take care of me. Now I'm traveling with my grandson. I'm not sure if he's taking care of me or I'm taking care of him. Are you taking care of me?
1: Thank okay. you. Huh?
0: Yeah, yeah, we're looking after each other. So yeah, how to put those together? I mean, look, when Kardyama Muni left and became whatever he became, a sannyasi or whatever, and then Kapiludev left, Devuti was only. Mahaprabhu left Vishnipriya and Sachimata alone. Vishnupriya was 16. Sachimata was an old widow. He left and girlfriend. as renunciates especially Vishnu Priya who was eating one grain of rice for every round of japa she chanted and that was her whole sustenance
2: also congregational they were protected by by the community in the village
0: so that's not exactly the same thing it's not exactly the same thing Psychologically, emotional, it's not quite the same. It's something.
2: It's not quite the same. There, there it definitely is a variety. I was thinking that Nityananda used to, uh, Mother she, I it used to sit him on his knee, <laughs> on her knee, and <laughs> you know, so she set him like the sun. <laughs>
0: my point is that there is variety You know, there's general principles and there's ideal but there's also variety and there's also individuals and it'd be good to examine these things and have some idea of the range so that we actually facilitate and, and care for and nourish everybody in our society so that Krishna consciousness is as easy as possible for everybody I'm sure it will happen I don't think it's going to happen while I'm in this body but I'm sure it's going to happen Exactly who's going to do it. The Prophet says that Varnashram has to be established by the Ksatryas. So as for actually putting it in place, it has to be done by the Ksatryas, by the government. It's not something that the Brahmins are going to be able to do. The Brahmins can give the guidelines how to do it, but the, it has to be done by a government. Especially
2: in
0: the age. No, yeah, well, it makes this a general principle. Bedvarn is established by the government and by the sectors. But it'd be nice that if somebody's ready to do it, they know what to do.
1: That
0: would be the guideline, you know how to do it. That would be nice. And why to do it? What's the value? You know, If things happen organically anyway, what's the value of putting a name on it? Why label it? Why give yourself a new body you didn't have before? You know, our so body veneer moved Let's get rid of all our bodies. So, what is the value of accepting this one? Why are we encouraged to accept this one? What does it do for us? How does it help us? That kind of thing I'd like to be explored.
3: You was also talking about this, like sometimes we have to expecting to be like like they think they like they should be like Brahmacharya when Guru say and they want that Guru say do do this this and then they mean they surrender and I think uh, this is my experience like with my Guru Maharaj. So he never said to us uh what we should do even when we Ask. in the beginning we want to like yeah. yes. say and then we pure devoted because he said that, <laughs> he said that. sometimes we were frustrated, you know, because he gave answer like give guidance, what is the but the with principle, knowledge. yes, yes. But we make, We have to make decision and you know what we do. And this was in the beginning, like the, you know, difficult. But after we caught the, kind point that we should think for ourselves, you know. Yes. And it helps you after you know make your decision. And after you don't even have to write to some to guru. That's the You idea. To Start to think. Okay.
0: You, you, Robert says we should become independently thoughtful. It doesn't mean independent of guru and Krishna that we're you know like a demon. But yes, one is supposed to understand, one is supposed to get to the point of maturity, just like you wouldn't want Yarananda as dependent on you when he's 30 as he is now. That wouldn't be pleasing to you. If when he's 30 he calls you up and says, Mommy, I have to use the toilet! (laughs) You know, he'd be very disturbed. (laughs) Actually, Prabhupada gives that as an example. How when he was little he'd go to his mommy and say, Mommy, Mommy, I have to use the toilet. So you, you want your children to grow up. You want them to be responsible. If my children were calling me three times a week, you know, asking me to solve their life problems, you know, they might ask me once or twice a year to help them with something, but not three times a week or every day. They don't call me up, you know, should I buy a blue quarter or a red quarter? <laughs> Just tell me what to do, mommy, and I'll do it. That wouldn't please me. I wouldn't like that. It's not not the idea of training. But, you know, if Guru or Krishna give a direct order, then you follow it, obviously. If the Guru says to you, go here now and do this, (laughs) well, you might discuss it like Tamal Krishna Maharaj did with Prabhupada. Prabhupada said, become GBC of India, and Tamal said, no. He said, I don't like being in India. I don't want to be GBC of India. I want to go to America and preach. Prabhupada said, I need you to be GBC of India. I need a responsible person here. You, you know, you're one of my most responsible and dependable people, which he was, and he said, no, I don't want to be in India. I don't like being in India. I have to get out of India. I want to go to America and preach. And they actually argued about it. They were actually shouting at each other. And Prabhupada was so pleased with Tamar Krishnash. He could ask him to do things he couldn't ask anybody else to do. You know, everybody else was coming back from Ayurveda. Prabhupada, we can't get the land. Oh, Prabhupada, I can't do it. Prabhupada, there's so many problems. Prabhupada said to Tamar Krishnash, you go, do it. And he did it, because that was the kind of person that he was. But the same thing that allowed him to go and do what nobody else could do, that same kind of personality was the kind of personality that would say to Prabhupada no I'm not going to do that you understand you, you wouldn't have one without the other you couldn't have somebody who would go to the you know the Dakoits and Lauport and say hey, we're just going to do this <laughs> and then somebody was just going to go yes sir." It wouldn't, that wouldn't match and Prabhupada appreciated his fire he loved him for who he was. We saw him as a very surrendered disciple, which he very much was. All right, we should go take Prasadam. Right. So, if you want the root of happiness, where do you have to go? To Vishnu. Right. And what is there? Where does Vishnu live? Where there's what? Austerity. Cow. Cow protection. <laughs>
1: Brahminical culture,
0: Yagyas with remuneration and austerity, austerity and sanathan Dharma and learned persons. So, if we want Vishnu to live, if we want Krishna to live, we are, the more we can work on that, the better. And then we will have the root of the nourishment for the demigods in the whole universe, which is the root for real happiness and prosperity. So, thank you again for inviting me here. A lovely first visit here. Hope sometime I'll be back. Maybe I'll come in the summer. <laughs> and if I've offended anybody, of please excuse me. And I hope I've done or said something that was of service to everybody. Thank you. All voices should be